I'll never forget going down to uh, one by one in Jamaica and Harmons, Jamaica, back there in the mountains. And uh, we were getting ready to head out for the work that day. And uh, a man came back <clears throat> early, an older man. I imagine he was in his 50s. It's hard to tell because he came back and his face was entirely swollen. He was covered in soot. And uh, his eyes were just about swollen shut. And um, he was a mess. And uh, he'd gone out early that day to work in the sugarcane field. And uh, I didn't know much about sugarcane, but I learned pretty quick. Sugarcane's about 10 foot tall. And in order to clear it, uh, when it's time for harvest, they just light it on fire and burn it. So it's just a scorched, you know, forest of sugarcane. And then people go in with a machete by hand and chop it down. And he clearly had allergies. But out of desperation for money, he'd taken off to go work in the sugarcane field that day and, and didn't make it. And luckily found a ride home. And I don't know what he was going to do, so I ran to my bag and grabbed antihistamine, which, you know, I've learned over the years as traveling the world is you just carry antihistamine with you in case no matter what you get. And so I handed him the antihistamine. Next day, he was like, thanks for the antihistamine, you know, like just made his life so much better. And I just over the years, you know, I just think like so many things we take for granted, you know, like having antihistamine. Or for the, for me, not having allergies, you know, and here's a man desperately trying to make some money, you know, just mauled by soot or whatever was out there in the sugarcane field that he couldn't handle. So that's the kind of stuff we're trying to do to help people. That's why we're involved with One by One. Well, we're talking about uh, this One by One, or I'm sorry, this, uh, well, One by One is a part of One Life financial challenge these days. We're deep in it. So let me give you this today. If we could, uh, if you could interview or bring in, you know, God rest his soul, Colby Bryant, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, even Michael Jordan, you know, the great, the man of 10,000 free throws. Um, if you could bring in some famous star, some famous incredible athlete, and say, say Michael Jordan, you say, Mike, what made you such a fantastic ball player, basketball player? What, how'd you How'd you do it? And he'd give the, the answer that you could probably predict that so many great athletes and performers, artists have given, you know, since day one. And that is, he says, he's going to say this. He's going to say, well, I did not start out great, right? I didn't start out. A, I wasn't born an incredible basketball star, Michael Jordan would say. It took practice, and it took discipline, and it took repetition, and uh, I was pretty bad when I started out, but I spent hours and days and seasons conditioning my body and practicing and practicing. You know, Michael Jordan's known for 10,000 free throws at the, at the line, just one after another. And he say, he would, they would say something like, I conditioned everything and bent my focus, my mental powers on everything I could do to become great as a ball player. And I failed Time and time again, but I'd get back up out of determination. I would set short-term goals, long-term goals. I'd create a plan, and I'd live the plan. And I thought about what level I was going to go to next all the time I had it in my head. And so I pictured myself some days being a great athlete. That's the vision I had and what I wanted to become, and I planned for that goal. Don't all athletes kind of tell that story, right? Now, suppose then we just take that idea and compare it to a very generous person. Somebody living a very generous, giving, charitable life. 
A person who gives away large, embarrassing amounts of money to God's work in the local church or to charities or to the poor or some other philanthropic uh, organization. What do you suppose their answer would be when you say, how would you become such an incredibly generous person? And they're going to give the same answer as all the athletes. Well, I didn't start off a real generous person. I didn't start off an incredibly generous person. I had to work at it. I had to develop a plan. I've worked over the years to become, to live a lifestyle of generosity. So, let me give you then a scale of sort, of a measuring stick, so each one of us can gauge our ability to become generous people. Do you remember back in high school psychology class, of course you do, uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? You're like, is this going to be on the quiz? Yes, it is. And... Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, ah, yeah, now I remember, and that was on the quiz. And it was something like this. Maslow said that human development, if not sociology and anthropology, begins down here at the survival level. Everybody begins at the survival level. This is all of your good classic 1960s B-movies about cavemen. Mostly they were about cave women in skimpy outfits. But nonetheless... Uh, I'm thinking Raquel Welch. Wait, I'm not thinking that now. So anyhow, um, I'm actually thinking Shawshank Redemption. That's what I'm really thinking about, fuzzy pants. Okay, never mind. I I digress. So survival. How are you going to make it through the night with the snarling and the snapping and get yourself some gathering hunting berries? That's where we all start. And then you move up to security, Maslow said. And so, you, you know, just think of the three little pigs, you know. You're just going to hope that nobody huffs and puffs and blows your shack down. And so you want to get that down to having one made out of brick, not sticks and not straw for sure. And get yourself up there to where now you can protect yourself so you can have some stability. The next thing then that Maslow said is we all seek belonging. You want to get some belonging going on in life. And uh, you want a sense of belonging that you, you know your own clan, you know your own people, you can begin to organize yourselves, organize the defense, organize the survival, get yourself stabilized with belonging, right? Community is what we call it around here in church. And then fourth, you move right on up to esteem. Gain yourself some self-esteem. You begin to have an opinion not just about the clan, but really about yourself. Very popular, of course, in our culture in America these days and the day we live in. You want to achieve some esteem in life and get yourself some confidence and self-respect. And then finally, Maslow, Abraham Maslow said at the very top of the hierarchy of needs is self-actualization. Self-actualization is where you begin to think great thoughts well beyond what others think when you're actualized. Because here you think about philosophy and human flourishing and the meaning of life and other deep thoughts about deep things and it's deep. That's what you do at the self-actualized level. Well, giving away a portion of your income could be comparable to Maslow's scale of needs because that's what I'm going to do here. So here are five levels of how a a generous person progresses toward greater and greater generosity. So as I go through these levels, your job is to think, where am I at on this hierarchy then of giving? So we're going to start off then with the very first one. And the first one is a dues level. 
a dues level would be the very basic thing. We all understand the dues level of giving. It's not really giving at all. It's called getting what you pay for. So if you belong to the gym or you're on the softball team or, um, you know, the whatever or something, you're paying for your kids' gymnastics and wrestling, you pay the, the team fees. You pay the gym fees. You pay the fee because you get something for it, right? It's quid pro quo. You're, you're saying, like, look, if I don't pay my dues, you know, then I don't get the jersey. I think the jersey's a little overpriced, but nonetheless, you know, I'm going to go ahead and get it, and I'm going to join the team, and everybody knows you got to pay to play. We all get this. So everybody understands this whole dues approach to thing. The organization asks for the fees and the dues, and, and you, you pay the thing. And you think, you know what, if I don't pay my gym fee, then the gym's going to close, and I won't have a gym to go to, or I'll have to go to find another one. So I'm going to pay, right? This is pretty easy stuff. Um, Years ago, I was at a Christmas party uh, for Lori's work, you know. And you know how Christmas parties go when you're the spouse, right? And all those people that you saw last year at the Christmas party that you don't remember their names. So Lori and I now, you know, on their way over, we're saying, okay, now who is that person that I'm supposed to know? And we're running through. And then you got to know their spouses too. So, you know, so we're trying to remember names, right? So you don't go, hey, you know, the whole thing. So, um, so I'm talking to this guy that I had met once before. We're standing there by the punch bowl, and uh, is Jewish, which, you know, I found out pretty quick from our conversation, because when he found out I was a pastor, he got this sort of crinkled up face going, kind of like a Clint Eastwood thing or something, and he goes, and he's looking at me, and he goes, and he, he, he knew it was going to be a sensitive question, he said, so you're a pastor, huh? How do you guys get money in the church? I'm thinking, this is a trick question, right? So, well, I just answered as honest as I could. So, I don't know. We, we passed the plate, and lo and behold, people put money in it. Amazing to me. And he goes, clearly he didn't really care what my answer was. He just really wanted to tell me what he was thinking about. He says, oh, yeah, well, it doesn't work that way at my synagogue. He said, in my synagogue, they send you an invoice once a year, which means they estimate what everybody makes in the synagogue, and then they just send you an invoice. And clearly... The synagogue, you could tell from his expression on his face, thought that he was at least six figures and way on up there in six figures. And they sent him an invoice of what they were charging him, and he was none too happy about it. You could tell that he was deeply wrestling between his Jewish heritage and belonging to the synagogue and paying his dues and the amount that that dues was and what they were asking of him. And he was not too happy about the whole thing. And I think they, they had him caught between a rock and a hard spot, and he was not having any fun. I could see the cost-benefit analysis going on in his mind about whether or not he should pay the synagogue the amount. It, it appeared as though he was going to, begrudgingly. We all get the dues level. But what if we jump up to the next level? And then we jump up to the gratitude level. Gratitude. Yeah? The gratitude level is, comes right out of Scripture. Dues level, not found in Scripture. Gratitude level, definitely in Scripture. Psalm 116, verse 12 says this. What shall I pay to the Lord for all his bounty to me? In other words, the psalmist is saying, the Lord has blessed me. What could I give back? David does this as well. He sacrifices to God. He says, I won't offer anything to God that doesn't cost me something. Right? We understand this. The second level of giving is a person who's motivated by a thankful heart. 
a heart full of gratitude toward God for what God has done for us. This level of giver realizes that God could have looked the other way from each one of us. He could have written us off as sinful, as selfish, as unloving, disobedient human beings with our self-interest. But because God loves us, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to show us how much he loves us and care for us and have a relationship with him. As a matter of fact, he loves us so much that he's willing to die for us in our place. Pay the price we should have paid. We are condemned for treason against God. And so on the cross, Jesus Christ takes our place. When you understand what Jesus did for us, then you open up your hand and become a giving person out of gratitude. You give of your time, talent, and treasures because you're just so grateful and thankful to God. We even show this sort of gratitude to each other. It doesn't even just have to even be in a spiritual sense. We do this normally. Let's say you're driving down the road and you see somebody with a flat tire and you think, okay, I'm pulling over. And I'm going to help this person change the flat tire because they look like they don't know what they're doing. And... Um, and so uh, you pull over and you change the, help them change the flat tire. And then what do they always say? Let me give you something. It's the what? Least I could do. Right? Because they're grateful. Because you stopped to help. We all get this sort of thing. Right? We happen. People just being human do this sort of thing about being grateful. We all understand this. So have you achieved the gratitude level of giving? Are you thankful to God like the psalmist in one sixteen? Are you there? Are you thankful for what Jesus has done for you? Are you thankful for what God has blessed you with and what you have in life? Next level. This is the spiritual discipline level. The spiritual discipline level. The third level of giving. This is where an authentic Christ follower really begins to get serious about exercising their giving muscle. This is quite a thing. It's not as much emotion. It now becomes an act of obedience. It now becomes something of commitment and willpower. Jesus understood this. Uh, Jesus talked about this when he ran across a Roman centurion whose servant was sick and dying. And the centurion, pagan by the way, not Christian, understands and asks Jesus to heal his servant. Right? And Jesus said, because he loves to heal, he says, I'd love to heal your servant. And he says, let's go. Let's go to him. And, and the centurion says, no, 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 no. No, 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 you don't have to come. I don't want to inconvenience you. I'm, 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 I understand armies. I understand men. We are people of discipline and obedience. You just say the word, Jesus. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. No need to inconvenience you. I tell a soldier to go, they go. I understand how this works. You tell the sickness to be gone, it'll be gone. I get it. Now, Jesus turns to his disciples and the Jewish crowd that were following him around. He says, talking about the pagan centurion, he says, I've never seen such great faith in, the, in, in you guys, <laughs> you know, in the Jewish people. And here we have a pagan exercising incredible faith. Use it as an object lesson. Just say the word. Just say the word type of giving. Christ followers understand obedience and discipline. And many of you have spent years and years trimming the moral fat from your lives, devout Christ followers, give out of a spiritual obedience. God says it in the Bible, and so do you. The last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring in the full tithe. It says it, you do it. You're a just-say-the-word type of follower. You understand it, and you're obedient to Scripture and to Christ. Pastor friend of mine, one of my mentors, by the way, Craig McElvain, 
um, who's now living down in Haiti, by the way, um, told me about a young man who had committed his life to Christ, and I knew this young man, and uh, this young man was so excited about following Christ, he wanted to do everything he could to be a devout Christian, and um, so he wanted his entire life to come under the submission of Jesus, and so he'd heard about and seen people giving money to the church, and so he thought he was supposed to give, and he, he said, uh, I understand I'm supposed to be giving money to the church, so I heard about this thing called the tithe. And uh, Craig goes, the tithe? You mean the tithe? He goes, yeah, that's what it is. It's called a tithe? Yeah, a tithe. What's a tithe? He goes, well, Scripture says uh, that it's a tenth. It's right there in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Uh, literally means to give a tenth part of all you have. The young man says, so does that mean we Christians are supposed to give a tenth of what we have? And Craig says, well, according to Scripture, that's pretty much what we see out of the Old Testament. A uh, tenth of our income. So, yeah, he didn't think anything more about it. Craig didn't think about it. Next week, the young man comes to church with a rather large check and very precisely down to the penny and hands it to Craig and says, here's my tithe. You know, here's my tithe check. And, um, and Craig told me this story. He says, well, I was so scared to tell the guy it actually wasn't just your income, but it was actually, you know, the Scripture says it's a tenth of all you own. He says, I'm afraid the guy would start going home and sawing off the legs of his kitchen table, you know, and tearing apart his mattress and giving me a tenth of it. So, you know, so... Um, but the guy just took it literally, straight obedience to Scripture. Just gave a tenth right there. Most of us, giving away a significant part of your income is hard, and it takes a lot of courage, and it takes development, just like Michael Jordan. It takes a little heart surgery. And so Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say it the other way around. He doesn't say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be, which is the way we'd like for it to read. He says, where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. The heart follows the treasure. And that's why it heart, takes heart surgery. When people who want to grow closer to God move from tipping God to the good life they've had so far to developing a spiritual discipline of giving away a portion of their income in a consistent, regular basis, they make this huge step forward in their spiritual life because they've now become a person of obedience. They've now become a person of discipline. Are you at this discipline level yet? Not only just in your giving, but in your entire Christian life. Have you developed a rhythm and a routine? It's the sort of thing we teach on uh, the generations' retreats and in the, all the milestones that we have, this sort of thing around here. Fourth level. Fourth level of giving in our hierarchy of giving is the vision level. The vision level of giving. This is the extra mature, above average Christ follower. They clearly grasp the vision of changing the world, and they feel personally connected to that mission. If you're giving at this level, you understand that the world is in trouble and that Christ is the world's only hope. You want to change the world from the inside out? One life at a time. Changing people's spiritual agendas and their, their entire life agenda from the inside out. You realize that people are, for the most part, desperately clinging to whatever they can manufacture in life around them and try and keep themselves entertained until they live and are wondering why they're on the planet. And then they, they need to hear about God's forgiveness and the plan for their lives. And so people who understand this, the person who's led by a spiritual vision says to herself, i got to do something strategic with my life. My one life that God has given me. I've got to do something strategic with it. They become a person of vision. It's not just about them. It's about everybody around them. 
And they want to leave their legacy that way. Lori and I came to one of those strategic moments the summer we were set to start publicly launch Lakeland Community Church. And it uh, hadn't started yet, right? And we knew that the church was going to need some money. And up to that point, we didn't need, really need any money. We didn't have any expenses and so forth. But as we were heading towards the, the beginning of the church, we had a full-time staff person. And we had rent to pay. And we were going to start the church with a direct mail campaign. Because back in those days, this thing called mail came in this little box out on the street. And you went out and picked it up. And people read the stuff that was in there. As opposed to threw it in the trash can. Okay, I can see by the look on your faces, you don't know what I'm talking about. But that, um, we started the church with a direct mail campaign. And, uh, and we needed a little bit of equipment. I think we had an overhead projector, and we needed a, like a real projector, and we needed uh, some sound equipment and so forth. And so we just needed some stuff like that. So we, Lori and I, decided, like, hey, we're going to have to kick it up right here. Now, you understand Lakeland started with mostly seeking people, non-Christians, people who wanted to find Christ, but they had no idea. They didn't have any churchism to them at all. So, which actually still continues to this day, and that's, that you're, now you're, you know, you guys who are highly church and you're just showing up around here, you're kind of like, oh, well, that explains a lot. I get it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we have that in our DNA around here that we just, you know, we aren't too uptight about stuff, you know, just not too churchified. So, um, I think it's kind of a good deal. But we decided the church was so important, we need to step up uh, our giving, step up to the plate, and uh, do something bigger with what we were doing in our giving. We wanted to be a part of what God was doing and changing lives in Lee Summit, especially Greenwood, and just that Jesus would come to people. And uh, so that's what we were after. We didn't just want a cute, pleasant little lapdog church, you know, some like just keep the museum going, you know, or something like that. We wanted this radical, life-changing church where people really uh, changed out their lives. So we felt called to do church for people that were convinced that church had nothing to offer. We thought if we were the last church they came to, after they'd rejected all the churches that were boring or guilty and asked for money, after they'd done all that, they'd come here and they'd say, like, that's the kind of church I was looking for. Real authentic people. What you see is what you get. Everybody on a journey together. I could buy into that. I'd give money to that. I'd give my time and talent. That's what we were after. The last stop churching, church shopping. We decided we need to do something strategic, so we significantly increased our giving. Uh, that was about 25 years ago, and we had no idea how it all turned out. It was just a huge roll of the dice and just a big gamble on God. You know, we thought we didn't know if we'd be the, you know, the butt end of a cruel joke called Lakeland Community Church that would just flame out. To this day, I think it was a great investment. huh? And uh, I believe God's spiritual vision for Lakeland and changing lives has been worth every dime. God has been faithful to us, and it's worth all the sweat, blood, and tears that we ever put into the thing. I'd do it all again just to watch God's grace change lives. This is the core of the spiritual vision around here at Lakeland, everyone. This is the fourth level of the bigger life uh, that you get challenged with at some point in life. Will you become a, a person of vision? Are you at this level yet? Are you there? Have you become somebody who's larger than yourself? Is this where we're at? Do you now say it's not about me? about somebody else are you able to say i'm just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is is this where you're at fifth and final level the good old tired word love love the love level some people give totally out of love for jesus christ this is giving out of an act of worship 
the sinful woman, as the New Testament calls her there in Luke, who comes in uninvited, unannounced to the party, and falls weeping and sobbing at Jesus' feet, breaks open a vial of perfume, which scholars would say was worth a year's salary, pours it over Jesus' feet, wiping the dirt from his feet with her hair and her tears and the perfume all commingled together and never says a word. She pours it all out. She's changed. Beyond paying dues, beyond gratitude, beyond discipline, beyond spiritual vision, she gave because she worshipped Jesus. She just gave the whole thing. She loved, she was loved. It was pure adoration. It was a work of art for her. It was music. She went against common sense and even common decency. She violated social taboo. People were offended in the room. She's groveling and she's weeping. They didn't understand who she was touching, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Scholars say she was probably a former uh, prostitute. My, one of my scholars said that she may have very well been Simon the Pharisee, the host of the party's uh, disowned daughter. Because how else would she have gained entry into the house? They didn't understand, but she did. And she gave it all away. She just poured it all out. Worship. Love. Your accountant's not going to understand your giving to the church. Your financial planner's not going to think this is going to be a good retirement plan for the future, 25 years from now. People are going to take pay cuts around here in order for God's work to get done. People are going to put off buying stuff. They're going to live differently. They're going to keep driving the same car, put off some sort of remodeling thing, maybe not take a vacation or whatever. And people are going to sacrifice social status and comforts because they love God. It's going to be scandalous to people who know about finances. Unchurched, unbelieving people will wag their heads and think that you're an idiot and you're a fool. But because God's love, followers of Jesus Christ feed the poor. They build houses for the disadvantaged. They clothe people who don't have clothing. They start churches to change people's internal spiritual compass from one of selfishness to somebody else. The church for the last 2,000 years has changed the world more than any other organization in the year. Oh, yes, I know. People want to point to the Crusades. What about the Crusades? Yes, that was a bad moment. Not sure it was very Christian, if Christian at all. It wasn't, actually. But medicine, schools, peace, people have died for the sake of Jesus Christ in order to make the world a better place out of pure love because Jesus loved. They poured it all out. So is this, is this you? Is this where you're at? Where giving is an act of worship? Folks, becoming a giving person doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It takes gratitude and discipline and a vision. It takes working through and examining your life pouring over the scriptures, being around brothers and sisters who live differently already. I'd encourage you to pursue Christ if you want to become more, a more giving person. I would encourage you to pursue Christ if, if you want to slay the dragon of materialism and, and march to a different drum than the world around you. 
You will look exceptional. You will be exceptional. And in the end, you will do exceptional things and you will change the world because of your love for Jesus Christ. Set a goal, everyone, to move up maybe a level. Maybe two. See if God won't rain down on you the blessings of life. See if you won't actually adjust your life to say, like, I no longer need that. I am happy and content the way I am. It's all worth it. See if that doesn't happen in your life. See if you can't slay the dragon of materialism and chasing after things. See what God will do in your life. This is what we're challenging everybody with these days. So take the journey with us. All this prayer stuff that's coming at us, that's where it all starts. Amen.